Welcome to another edition of How Wrestling Built Me. I am Kyle Klingman of Track Wrestling. Our first edition of the show had John Harris. Our second edition, the one you are listening to right now, is with Michael Child, and we have to give a tip of the cap to both these guys because they really planted the seed for this show. It was through conversations with both of these gentlemen that made the parallel, made the connection between what wrestling did how they took wrestling, and how they built that into their career. And what's neat about this is that they don't have to think about it. It just poured out of them. And when you talk to John Harris and what you'll hear from Michael Child, you really will feel that vibe. How Wrestling Built Me is built on that concept. It's not necessarily about how well you placed in high school or college. It's what you did to take those skills and become successful in something else. Now, Michael Child happens to be successful in another endeavor. He is with Auto Nation, which is America's largest automotive retailer with over 300 sales and service locations in 17 states. He's won the coveted Auto Nation's President's Award a record nine times. He lives in Houston, but has that great wrestling background. He was in Midwest City, Oklahoma, grew up around the Smiths, lettered in football, went to Colorado State University, where he was a two-time academic All-American. And then get this, he donated a kidney to his younger brother, Mark, which essentially stopped his competitive career. He was an assistant wrestling coach at Midwest City High School for almost 10 years, so a great wrestling background and a great interview that we get with Michael Child. He's our second guest, and again, kudos to Michael Child and kudos to John Harris. They're really the reason we have this podcast, but we have Michael Child coming up next on our second edition of How Wrestling Built Me. So great to have on Michael Child for this edition of How Wrestling Built Me. Really honored to have you on, Michael, and looking forward to talking to you about your business career and then how wrestling relates to that business career. So honored to have you on. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. As we detailed in the beginning, we talked about your life in the automobile industry. Let's just start with that. So many stigmas attached to the car business, the automobile industry. Set that straight for us. What is the automobile industry really like, and what can consumers get from you about what it's like to be on your side? Well... To begin with, the old car business is certainly different than the new car business. When I say that, I'm talking about 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, where pricing was somewhat of a mystery and and people didn't really know what they were doing. And, you know, and now the integrity is uh, certainly on the forefront of, of the industry and consumers have as much knowledge or more than they've ever had. But uh, capitalism and free enterprise is a great equalizer. Bad businesses fail and good businesses succeed. And you're exposed very quickly in today's world with the social media, you know, reputation, Google reviews, things like that. If you're practicing bad business. And so, you know, it's a car is a commodity. You can get these cars just about anywhere. And uh, competition is, is pretty intense. So if you're not operating with integrity and having, you know, participating in great customer service, you're not going to last in the industry. And, you know, people have the belief, you know, from the old reputation that 
the car business was somewhat criminal. Uh, that's kind of a harsh word. Uh, and it might have been deserved in the past, but it's certainly not deserved now. And uh, I love capitalism. I think capitalism is, you know, it's a, it's very parallel to competition in wrestling. And, you know, the people that outwork the other people, the people that outdo their, their competition are going to succeed in capitalism. And, you know, you can set a lofty goal. And if you're willing to do something that nobody else was willing to do, then you're going to win in the end. And that's the same exact philosophy in, in wrestling. When you look at uh, the Gables, the Smiths, the Schultzes, you know, people that are willing to outwork the best, to be the best, uh, business isn't far off from that. So hopefully that's not too lengthy of an answer, but there's a parallel right there. So it sounds like the internet is the game changer in the automobile industry that because of the internet, because we're able to give reviews, because we're able to price check, that really changed the way we're able to see the automobile industry and how you guys have had to adapt. Is that correct? Well, that's true. You know, only from a consumer visibility standpoint. Um, Yeah, the internet is a game changer as far as exposure but a lot of people operated with integrity from day one just because people weren't watching didn't mean they didn't have integrity so there's a lot of good dealers out there there's a lot of good people in the industry that you know were determined and they had principles and they were ethical and they were moral and they did business right and they're still in business today and they're they're thriving they're very successful were you always interested in free enterprise, capitalism, all those things you just talked about, were those things early in your life that you were interested in? Well, yes. Uh, The short answer is yes. Um, I had a job when I was 13. Uh, All of this I can attribute to my older brother. Uh, And I think people who have an older brother or a brother in general, whether it be in wrestling or in sports, they have a little bit of an advantage. I wanted to go everywhere my older brother did. And, you know, we had jobs together and, you know, he wrestled in fifth grade. So I wrestled in third grade and, you know, uh, but from the capitalism standpoint, yeah. I mean, I knew at an early age that the more I work, the more I get ahead. Uh, And, you know, financially, it was kind of a byproduct. I didn't even realize that the conditioning of working uh, was something that would stay with me forever. Uh, so, you know, everybody looks for the financial reward, but what you get more than anything else is, you know, you conditioned yourself to, you, you just don't quit. And, you know, you have adverse times. Not every day is going to be an easy day, uh, but you still got to get up and you got to do, you got to do the work. What is it the, about the automobile industry that brought you in? Because I've got to believe that it wasn't something as a five-year-old you're thinking, I want to be a, in the automobile industry. Where along the line did you say, this is the profession, this is the career path that I want to take? Well, that's a crazy question. And I will tell you, I don't think anybody in kindergarten says, hey, when I grow up, I want to sell cars. Um, and, and I didn't. I, I had no desire to do it. Uh, and I was in some other businesses and the dealer kept coming to me saying, Hey, when you sell those businesses, I want you to be in the car business. And, uh, there's actually a person that I grew up with and, uh, he 
gravitated towards me simply because of work ethic and, you know, and that work ethic, again, I attribute that to sports and more specifically to wrestling. And, and, you know, like Gable says, once you have wrestled, everything else is easy. So I, I did sell my businesses and they weren't car business. And, uh, he came to me almost immediately and said, you need to get in here and, and do this. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. And uh, I said, I want to go back to school and get my master's degree. And, and he goes, just try it. And so I did. And I realized that the competition was pretty easy to beat because they didn't really have a work ethic. And, uh, and from, a, from a financial standpoint, it was very lucrative because with a limited skill set, you could certainly do very, very well. And, uh, and so I did. And then it just kind of the competition of the business, it kind of sucked me in like a vacuum. OK, this is competitive. And, you know, I if I love wrestling, I would have wrestled forever if physically I could have. Um, but everyone knows that, you know, there's a, there's a time when you you stop. And so I needed to fill that void with something that was competitive and you know, the capitalism and the industry that I'm in allowed me the the competitive void that I had to fill. What were those businesses that you sold, Michael? Well, I had two restaurants and uh, I had a, a, another business that, you know, it's just, and they required a lot of work. So, you know, but the conditioning, you know, getting up early and and closing late, any job after that was pretty simple and everybody said, man, you're going to work a lot of hours in the car business. And, and yeah, you do, but it's nothing compared to what I was working before. And so those businesses were good. Um, I had them for seven years right out of college. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our really, really elite athletes in high school that was seven or eight years older than me introduced me to them and got me started. And, Within seven years, we had big, big firms, big restaurant chains wanting to buy my locations and wanting to buy my stores. And finally, I just said, yeah, it's a good time to do this. And, you know, the timing was right and it worked out. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to get in the car business at that point. Um, it was also the same year that uh, I competed in my last Olympic trials in 1992. So... I was able to sell at the end of 91 and that allowed me to train and take, you know, three or four months to, to get focused on, on the Olympic trials. So it was good timing. Let's go way back to when you got started in the sport of wrestling. Do you remember how you got involved, what that was like? Did you like wrestling right away? Take us through those initial stages of your introduction into the sport. I remember it vividly to this day. Uh, my older brother did it, and he was competitive in it. And he, um, I think he was fourth or fifth grade, and so... I hung around with him at our elementary school, which, by the way, I grew up in Midwest City, Oklahoma, and the Middell school system offered every sport from fourth grade on and had equipment and 
subsidized everything. It was a very competitive environment, uh, and it was good. I think the schools benefited from it. I think we had a better community because every school had sports. So when my brother didn't go home right after school, I didn't feel like I should go home right after school. So our coach slash PE teacher said, hey, you can hang around, but, you know, you can't compete in this until you're fourth grade. And I was third grade. So he'd have me clean the mats and and he'd have me run errands and do stuff. And, and he was a really special coach. He, he treated me pretty well. And it wasn't very long where, you know, you had an uneven number of, of wrestlers out there. And he said, okay, Mike, go ahead and jump in there and, and do your thing. And, you know, to be honest, I got beat up pretty good when I was a third grader. Uh, but I loved it. And so I kept going back. And uh, obviously, fourth grade, I, I was able to do it and uh, kept doing it until I graduated college and then a little bit more. Uh, but in my hometown, everybody wanted to be a wrestler. Everybody wanted to participate in sports, it seems like. And it was very competitive. Uh, but, yeah, I remember it to this day. And, and it found me more than me finding it. I, you know, Destiny kind of does that sometimes. And, and I'm grateful to God that it happened. I, you know, I thank God every day that I was in competitive athletics and, and wrestling in, in specific. Did you like it right away, though? Is it something that you wanted to stick with, or were there moments where you had to will your way through it and maybe you wanted to quit, but you kept with it? Do you have any moments like that in the sport? Well, I never, I never had any big desire to quit. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I, there were times that were tough, and I, I didn't like it all the time. And not every day was an easy day, but no, I, I liked it enough to where no matter what it threw at me, I was going to stay with it. Uh, and I played other sports too, uh, football and, uh, and I played football in college and never in my mind did I think anything was more important than wrestling and, and more than anything else, the work ethic, the, the desire, the the people that you would see as role models, like a Dan Gable or, you know, and, and Dan Gable was huge when I was growing up. So you looked at what he did and you said, man, that's what I want to do. You know, so you would imagine people being tired and you say, okay, I'm not going to be tired or, you know, I'm going to do more than this guy did on this day. And, and so, yeah, I never really, felt, hey, this is the end of, of wrestling. I still don't feel like it's the end. If I get an opportunity to roll around with some kids, I'll gladly do it. Um, I'm probably not as uh, – I'm, I'm a little more physically limited than I used to be, but I, I, the sport, every good thing that in my life I can attribute back to wrestling in one way or another. When you say that, I want to make that connection and that link. So – when you say that every good thing is attributed to wrestling, is it looking back and saying, here's the skill and how I'm getting through this situation? Is it the work ethic? Can you give us some specifics on how that tangibly translated into what you're doing today? Well, so many people that, and, you know, 
some have wrestled, some haven't wrestled, but they don't understand the, you know, the, the conditioning part of the sport and the making weight and the, and then you go out and compete. And, you know, when you do that year after year after year, and you say, you know, people throw this challenge at you and may seem mammoth to them. You say, oh, you know what? I can do that. And then you start compartmentalizing and breaking it down and saying, this is how I'm going to attack this. And you embrace work. You embrace the hard parts. And as you get better at them, you know, and, and you could be, it could be a physical fitness routine. It could be a, a business routine that requires discipline, you know. As you do that, and you know you can do it, you have this confidence given to you by faith and and by what you've done in the sport of wrestling, knowing that there's no task that is too difficult. There's no challenge that you cannot overcome. Now, some some will take longer than others, but you've embraced the work, and you say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna attack this thing, and I'm gonna knock it out." and and then you even gain more confidence and and your competitors, you know, psychologically, they see what you do. And sometimes they quit because they're like, I can't do what this guy does, you know. And and again, I, that's a I can I attribute that back to wrestling as well. Uh, so those are the good things. You know, you don't you don't see any problems or any adversity that you feel like you can't overcome because of what you did in the sport of wrestling, whether you won or whether you didn't win, you know, you can overcome a lot of things and, and attack problems instead of, you know, so much of the world right now is, you know, social media is a double-edged sword. People get bummed out or they think, you know, I can't do this or they get talked out of it and, you've got to ignore those obstacles or, or treat them like challenges and just go beat them. And wrestling taught me that early and, and family has a lot to do with that as well, but wrestling more than anything else, because it's mono and mono you're out there, you know, you, you don't, you're an orphan. You don't have a lot of people to blame and team sports are a little bit different. You know, Hey, we didn't win because our third baseman made three errors or we didn't win because our line didn't block very well or, you know, if you go out and you wrestle and you didn't win, it's clearly on your shoulders. Uh, and, and sometimes you get scarred up, but you got to come back the next day. And, uh, and that's what I love about it. You're, you're conditioning yourself not to quit. How much of that wrestling was because you were in that Midwest city environment, because you have to think that's pretty special to be around that. And I don't know who the guys were, but I think you had all Americans around you. And I don't know if you realized it at the time, but I have to think that that built you in a way that just maybe the sport did, but being in a special culture also added to that level. Well, I'm grateful to God that I grew up in Midwest city, Oklahoma. Um, and I can name the names. There were Roger Frizzell uh, was a year ahead of me, went to first grade through 12th grade with me. He was a four-time All-American, uh, actually won a world championship in uh, Bulgaria. Uh, Bill Amin and, and Robin Amin and Paul Amin, they all won, you know, between the family. They probably had seven or eight state titles, and they were, you know, Division Two national champions. And, you know, then when I went to high school, 
you name it. We had Johnny Johnson and, you know, we just had so many people that went on to division one and, uh, you know, became all Americans or world champions or, you know, and then in Dell city, not five miles away, you know, you had Leroy Smith and John Smith and Pat Smith and, you know, the Smiths just kept coming, but there were a lot of good wrestlers in Dell city as well that, you know, their last name wasn't Smith, but I will tell you it was competitive and it was fun. And the Christmas workouts were probably some of my most memorable times. We would come back from college and everybody went back to the high school room and it wasn't uncommon to see, you know, Roger Frizzell and John Smith and, uh, Johnny Johnson, myself, and, you know, Keith Walton, and you go, the names go on and on. And they'd all be in the same room working out with each other, going over stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty special. It, 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 you know, it, and, you know, now we have, heck, the coach of the Houston Astros was in that Midwest City group, and, uh, AJ Hinch. And then, you know, Mike Gundy actually was a great wrestler in junior high school to coach at OSU football. And, you know, he ended up stopping in high school because he played baseball and played football so well. And that's where his future was. But a lot of those kids wrestled. Um, in fact, most of them did Midwest city and Dell city. It was a wrestling community and, and that's a good thing, you know, and everybody shook hands and went home and, you know, we ate a lot together and we, you know, we worked out hard together and, and we all remain friends to this day. So, uh, it was a great community, great community to grow up in. And I'm grateful for that. And then you went on to be an assistant wrestling coach at Midwest city high school for about 10 years. Was that while you had your businesses? Was that something you did as a volunteer? How did you get involved in the coaching end? It was, uh, they asked me to, uh, Kenny Nelson, who was an all American at OU and, uh, he was ranked number one, probably his last two years, uh, at OU, uh, 126 pounder back when it was 126. He had asked me to come help at Midwest city high school. And it was really an honor and a privilege. And we had, uh, I was there for eight years. We won five state titles and we came in second three years. And, uh, I believe we had 26 state champions and, uh, they all went on to, uh, to good schools. And it was, it was, it was a good time in my life. It developed me personally in, in some of the, you know, some of the inadequacies that I had. Coaching's different than wrestling. Uh, you know, competing, you take care of yourself. And that's the one job. You only have one job. You take care of yourself and you make sure you're ready to go. Coaching, you've got, you know, 10 to 12 different athletes and they all wrestle differently. And so you've got to figure out what their strengths are and, and where their shortcomings are. And you got to learn to coach them differently. You know, the, the base stays the same. Conditioning is the same. And, and a lot of the things, you know, the rules are the same. But the styles aren't the same. Um, and I think any good coach would tell you that. Uh, so that was, uh, that was a good time for me. And, and, and I had my businesses at the time. And I could break away from, you know, 2 to 5 in the middle of the afternoon. And 
and coach kids and and I was fortunate because we had good kids. I mean, you don't win five state titles in eight years and uh, not have good kids. As far as competition, you went to Midwest Cities, we mentioned, and then you go to Colorado Colorado State. How does that happen? How do you go from Oklahoma to Colorado State? That's a great question, Kyle. Uh, I went to OU originally, and uh, it's kind of funny because I wrestled at Midwest City. I was 108 and a 115-pounder. My senior year, I wrestled 115. I was recruited to OU as a 118-pounder. And immediately following the the last competition in high school, I grew three or four inches and about 50 pounds. And, uh, and I got bigger, I got stronger, I got faster. And I showed up at uh, campus at OU and they said, you're not going to wrestle 118. I said, no, there's no way. And I was weighing about 190. And they said, well, you know, we've got, Dave Schultz, Mark Schultz, we've got all our upper weights pretty much handled, Mike. We were counting on you to wrestle 118. And I said, well, you know, can I try out for the football team? I hadn't played football in three years, but I loved it. And uh, at that time, Barry Switzer was the coach. <laughs> I went and talked to him, and he said, you you can try. If you make it, you make it. And uh, that spring, I made it. And uh, so I actually took a took a step back from wrestling. I was still in the wrestling room, but uh, knew I wasn't going to wrestle for OU. And that summer, Jim Kenyon, who had coached at Midwest City in the 70s and then got the job at Colorado State, that was the second offer that I had. And so I met with him legally or illegally. I went up to Fort Collins, Colorado, and I asked him, can I wrestle and play, play football? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay. And then I requested a transfer. At that time, you had to redshirt. So I had to redshirt a year, which I had a, a redshirt year, so that was fine. And I really bared down and, and competed hard. And, you know, the problem there is we had two scholarships, and I had one of them. My roommate had the other, and he was one eighteen pounder So everybody else walked on. And, you know, if I had one regret, I would have gone to a place that – you had a room full of workout partners that were very, very competitive versus Colorado state where you had not so much. Um, so I was still able to work hard and, uh, I hooked up with air force Academy and, and their coaches and they would allow me to work out with them too. And, you know, it was, uh, and they were all, they had Oklahoma roots. So, uh, I got a lot of help. And of course, in the summertime, I'd come back and work out with all the, Midwest City, Dell City guys. And so, yeah, I went to Colorado State. I got a good education. I was able to compete in wrestling and football and had a great college college life. Uh, I didn't have as good a workout partners as I should have. And, you know, I sought them out. But uh, Fort Collins, Colorado is not, uh, you know, it's not a, a bus ride to to Ames or to Iowa city or to Norman or Stillwater. It was, uh, it was kind of out there. So, uh, that's how all that happened. Well, your competitive career ended in 93. You donated a kidney to your younger brother, Mark. How does that transit transaction take place? How does that come about? And is there anguish in 
making that decision, thinking that I need to do this for my younger brother, how did that process, how did that decision take place? Well, the decision, there was never a question in my mind. Um, the decision took place in about a second, in about one second. Uh, my younger brother was on dialysis and he had had uh, juvenile diabetes to no fault of his own. And, you know, it was one of those things where he didn't have the opportunity to participate in sports. He didn't have the opportunity to do a lot of things due to health reasons. Now, I did, and I was coming toward the end of my career, possibly. The doctors assured me that I could do everything with one kidney that I did with two, and I was determined, and I had just come off the Olympic trials, so I was in pretty good shape, and I was actually scheduled to wrestle a, a duel uh, with a Soviet Union guy in uh, in Dell City. It was just kind of an exhibition type thing, and, and I did in 93, and then, you know, uh, two weeks later, uh, I matched on the... They, they have six antigens that they try to match whenever an organ is donated. And if you're a blood relative, if you match three or four, that's pretty good. It's going to take. If you're a non-blood relative, you need to match five out of six or they won't even try it. Well, I, I was a blood relative and I matched five out of six, so it was a logical choice. And uh, it took place and I was up and at them back at work in about a week and a half. And I attribute that to conditioning and wrestling and, you know, and, and it all worked out and he had a very, very healthy life for the next 15 years. And, and, uh, I don't look back. I don't have any regrets on that at all. I've continued to work out. I've continued to do things physically and, you know, whether it be boxing or wrestling or whatever. And the one thing I won't do is ride a motorcycle and, uh, I don't want to expose the other kidney at any high speed accident because when you only have one, you got to take care of that one. So that's the only thing I won't do. Um, but I'm not limited physically in any capacity. And, you know, it, like I said, at the beginning of this question, it, it took no, no time at all to agree to do that. That was, uh, that's just what you do. Going back to what you said earlier about outworking the competition, what does that feel like to look at someone and say, I know I've outworked that person because I have a unique set of skills, and clearly you have articulated that you got those through wrestling. How does that give you that mental advantage to take yourself to the next level? Well, psychologically, they're not willing to do what I'm willing to do. And and, and I say that in a humble in a humble way. I'm not saying that I can outwork every single person on the planet, but in my mind, I, I can. And you play games in your mind. You're, it's kind of like, you know, when you're pacing back and forth and you think, okay, have I outworked this guy or, you know, or you think, Hey, this guy's been laying around and, you know, he spends all his day on social media and I spend all my day on the important things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's arduous and it's something that, that I do and I'm not willing to sacrifice time to go play around because this is what's important to me. So sometimes I think they're outworking me and I play that game in my mind and I say, okay, I've got to work this much harder because this guy's outworking me. Whether they are or they aren't, I, I play that game. Or sometimes I think, hey, they're sitting around doing nothing and this is the opportunity to really uh, take advantage. And, 
you know, it's the same thing you did in wrestling. You know, when you had to condition yourself, you know, you spend extra time. You, you're willing to do more than the next guy's willing to do. And your imagination uh, kind of drives you to that. What do you do to keep motivated and then stay motivated? Do you have things that you implement into your life to get through some of those lulls? Because we all have them. We all have dips where we need to get out of a rut. What do you do to get to the next level and to keep sharp, keep motivated? You force yourself to do something. Um, you know, in my case, I force myself to get into the gym and, and lift and run and condition myself. Uh, you know, that plays a big part in my life, physical conditioning. And, and that's uh, when you, when you don't think when you're in a rut, you just got to force yourself out of the rut. You've got to work yourself out of the rut. You've got to have, you know, that, that mental toughness to say, okay, you know, this, this isn't going to last in, uh, and I really haven't had a lot of ruts in my life. I'll find a way to go do something, you know, and you want a reward in life. Everybody wants a reward in life, whether it be, you know, for your family or, you know, so you imagine yourself having this grand reward. If you can only do, you know, five more of these or seven more of those, or so you push yourself in your imagination saying, okay, if I do five more of these, I'm going to get this, this, what I want. I'm going to get, you know, and, and so you're dying trying to do it. And uh, so you'll find yourself, you know, people standing around watching you instead of doing their own thing. And that's kind of when you know you've arrived when you're, you know, and, and some people will label you, label you as a fanatic or a lunatic or think you're crazy. And, uh, and, you know, maybe you are maybe, but, but all the time you're getting ahead. Um, and, and I will tell you, I've watched enough of, of Gable's competitor Supreme and, and I've watched enough about Dan Gable and read enough and, and seen things that he's done or heard things that he's said. And anytime you find yourself, maybe you're feeling like, okay, I can't go through with this or I can't finish it or I can't, you know, you start watching that and you say, you know what? I sure can. You know, I'll do more. I'll do more. I'll do more. I'll do more. And, and you start doing that. And then you can't, there's no way you can see that and watch that, do that and not improve your life by jumping in and, and trying to do more. And it's inspiring. It's, uh, you know, the sport owes a lot to Dan Gable. In fact, life owes a lot to Dan Gable in, uh, and, and, I felt honored. I got to talk to him one time, you know, so, you know, here's a guy that I just looked up to and I thought, you know, this is, this is what life is supposed to be about. If you want to be a high achiever, this is what you want to do. And, uh, I can't say enough about that. So it's, uh, it's driven me whenever I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I need to get a little bit better. I'll go back and, and tap that, you know, I'll, I'll tap that competitor supreme or I'll tap, you know, a, a quote that Gable might've said, or, or maybe even one of my high school coaches might've said. So, uh, grateful for those references. So taking what I just tried to impose on you as a question saying that we all have lulls, it sounds like what you're saying is that you're, 
pretty much able to stay even and and not let there be a lot of highs and not let there be a lot of lows, that you're consistent through your work and that you have a system and that you work the system. Is that how you're able to just rise the ladder of success, Michael? Well, you want the highs to be a regular thing. Um, And now, you know, as I've, I've gotten up and I've gotten into this industry and I've coach you know it's 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 managing but it's coaching you you have 160 170 250 employees teammates whatever uh, terminology you use you know you want your highs to be all the time and you know you want achievement to be the norm and you start getting it and then when you get it you know Sometimes I'll look back and say, wow, you know, and, and you knew you were going to get it. But when you see 150 people that just got way better, then you you kind of you get sentimental inside because, again, managing me is not a problem. I can force myself to do things, but not everybody, you know, not everybody is that way. So especially in this industry, it's not a wrestling room. You know, wrestlers want to be there. They want to sweat. They want to work out. They want to do that. You know, not everybody's as competitive. And so when you start a culture that's, you know, competitive and then people fall into it and all of a sudden their lifestyle is better, which by the way, it's a lifestyle. You create a lifestyle. You know, I can tell you a million reasons why things fail. Uh, a lot of people set goals, and once they hit something, whether it be a diet and they get to their weight or whatever, they immediately quit. Instead of con- continuing to make that a lifestyle, you know, I guess that's what wrestling has done more than anything else. It created a lifestyle where you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. You know, you don't have to be physically gifted. It helps, but... I've seen so many athletes that were not physically gifted be national champions and world champions and Olympic champions. Uh, some of our best Olympic champions, they weren't stronger, faster, or, or more physically gifted than anyone. They, they just outworked everybody. And, you know, the, the old saying, to be the best, you got to outwork the best and outthink the best and be willing to do what someone else is not willing to do. And uh, that's a lifestyle. That's something that you do every day. And, you know, when your head hits the pillow at night, you sleep pretty good because you did everything in that day that was required and in the, and then some. So I don't like going to sleep when I haven't done everything that was necessary to do. Uh, I don't sleep as well. But that doesn't happen very often. How do you motivate someone who isn't as motivated as you? How do you handle that person? How do you implement some sort of commitment and all those discipline habits that you talked about? How do you do that as the coach or the leader? How do you get someone motivated? Well, you find out what they want. You find out what drives them. And, you know, if it's, if they're not a driven person, you don't hire them. But, you know, if, if they want something, then you say, okay, this is the reward. You dwell on the reward and you move towards that. If you dwell on the penalty of failure, you're going to move towards that too. So, what do you want out of life? You know, um, very interesting question. Cause my father who I 
thought was a hero and a very brilliant person, uh, used to tell me things and they just hit me. And, you know, I had won, oh, probably 20 or 25 matches in a row at Colorado State and then I lost. And I was at home at Christmas and uh, he said something about, hey, what's going on? You, you're not the same. And I said, well, I just don't feel good about it life i lost and you know i gotta do this i gotta do that and he started laughing i said what's so funny he said well did you get anything from the sears catalog department today i said well no that's a crazy question why would i get anything from sears catalog department he said well did you order anything i said no i didn't order anything he said well that's exactly why you didn't get anything so (laughs) you know he told me you you know you're going to get out of life exactly what you order out of life so that's how I would attack the motivating of, uh, of others. You know, what do you want out of life and what are you ordering out of life? And, you know, it's a crazy conversation like that that stays in my mental library that, uh, that I, you know, whenever I think that somebody's not motivatable, then, you know, and they're out there. I'm telling you, the challenges for me today, uh, the millennials are, they're different and, they don't, you know, sometimes their values are more time than money and more time than the reward that we're talking about. And, you know, some of us wrestlers, we don't take a lot of time off. We want to we want to be in there competing and conditioning and getting ready for the next big thing. And, and these people, and I say that in the nicest way, they just have different values. So you got to figure out what those are and, and motivate that way. What, what motivates you? I look at your credentials. You have a record nine president's award from auto nation. Are those awards? What motivates you? What's your end game? Well, it's the competition. It's to do every piece of this business better, uh, than the next guy in the next group and the next, you know, and, and the other thing that motivates me is if you can do that and financially money cures a lot of ills, it's a great deodorant. So it enables you to be the more productive you are, the better you're going to be at customer service. You're going to be able to do things that nobody else is going to be able to do for the customer and, uh, and your clientele. And then that's, uh, when you get to a certain level, uh, that's a motivator. And then my team, I, I love every teammate that I have at this team right now. And when I say that, that doesn't mean I like them a lot. That means I love them. My heart is with them. I want them to succeed. I want them to be happy. I want them to go home and make their families happy because they've achieved. And I want them to recognize it. And, you know, when you get that culture going, it's kind of like a freight train. It's, it's, it's a good thing. And I had it for 11 years in Corpus Christi, Texas, and now I'm in Houston, Texas, and we got it. You know, I'd say last year is kind of my freshman year here. It was, uh, it was challenging. Some people, you know, didn't really want this intensity and, but the ones that have stayed, you know, and we've grown. So that's a good thing through my sophomore year, so to speak. Now I'm getting ready to be a junior, I guess, here. But uh, the ones that have stayed, we've created a beautiful culture, and we're 70% up over last year, and we'll probably be 70% up next year, too. And 
and I look forward to it because they're they're disciplined. They got a great culture. They do better than the rest of the competition. And uh, I'm very fortunate to have the team. Uh, very very fortunate to have the team that I have. What is Michael Child's definition of success? Oh, I don't know. That's that's a good one. Um, I'm not there yet. You know, I, I, you know, a lot of people might think that's that I am. Uh, I don't look at it from a, a money standpoint. I don't think that's uh, that's not the measure of success. Uh, I look at it from a heart standpoint. I look at it from a mental toughness standpoint. I, I look at it from an overcoming adversity standpoint, when you can look at any situation and say, you know what, we'll handle this, you know, and, and you take a teammate and you say, don't worry, you know, we'll climb this wall together. You and I, we're going to make this happen. So, and then you make it happen, you know, it, I guess that's success. When yeah. you look back at this and you look at some of those moments, do you have a moment in your head where it was <laughs> it was on the brink of whether you're going to make it or not make it? I'll tell you what. Um, yes. And it's it, I have clarity on this. And uh, my father, when I graduated high school, and of course I told you I got a little bit bigger between the state championship and my graduation date. And he got me these uh, cassette tapes. That tells you how old I am. Uh, called The Psychology of Winning by Dennis Waitley. And it talked about self-direction and self-discipline and, you know, each tape. And I wore those things out over the summer. And I lifted and I ran and I would run sprints and I would run stairs and I would do everything that I could possibly do physically and challenge myself. And when I went to OU and they said, you're not going to be a 118 pounder, I was prepared for that. And I was prepared for some dumb reason to go down and, and talk to Barry Switzer and the coaches at OU to say, hey, would you let me try out for the football team? And that was, you know, they were probably top five in the nation that year. And, and he said, if you make it, you make it pretty much like dismissing me that I wouldn't make it. And when I made it, that was a, that was a huge, huge accomplishment for me. I, I didn't get cut. I, I made one of the top five teams in the country and I hadn't played football in three years. And so I knew at that point, the recipe, if I keep working like this, if I keep doing, if I keep taking on these challenges and knowing that I'm going to succeed, you just imagine that you succeed before you ever start and you keep moving towards that. Then I knew that I could go wrestle. I could go play football. I could go into business. I, no matter what it took, I was going to make it happen. Uh, whatever it takes, you gotta, you gotta just go get it. So I think that was a moment that I thought, okay, at, at 18 years old, I climbed a pretty good mountain. Uh, it was a pretty good challenge, and and of course, the funny part was I made it, and then I said, "Oh, you know, I can go to Colorado State and do this as well," and 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 I did. So, um, no, it was a good time. It was a good time. 
You have a couple children, daughter Francesca, son Michael Jr. I have no idea if they like wrestling or not, but how do you implement the skills of wrestling to them, even if they aren't involved in the sport? My daughter, I, I don't see, you know, she's right now, she's six, and Michael is three. Michael's already had, you know, my high school teammates have wrestled with him, and and the Smiths have wrestled with him. You know, he just... And he loves it. He eats it up and uh, he's got the temperament for it. Now, you know, I want to see what happens when he, he gets pinned or when he gets a little bit of adversity, but you know, he's three, I'm going to let him be three for a while. Sure. But, uh, you know, I want him, I want him to have discipline in his life. I want him to be, you know, I want him to do the right things and, and not worry about hard work. I want him to embrace Okay, if he didn't do it right, if he failed one time, that doesn't mean he's going to fail forever. He's going to keep doing it until he gets it right. And I don't think he'll have a big problem with that. His uh, his mother's pretty good person, uh, pushes him pretty good, uh, and he's got some some natural athletic ability. My daughter is very smart, and uh, she's a little bit different. She does gymnastics and she does dance, and but. Uh, I can tell you at six, she's not thrilled with it all, but she does it. Uh, and so we'll see. I'm going to kind of let her develop too. Uh, you know, she might be a, a great piano player. She might be a musician. She might be a, a, a scientist. I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm fortunate that uh, they're two different kids. In, uh, but, you know, so far they're pretty good kids. They just... Uh, they need some coaching and some guidance and, uh, you know, we'll let them be kids for a while and, uh, see how they develop. And if they want to, if they want to be a piano player, if they want to dance ballet, if they want to play basketball, God forbid, I'll, I'll make them the best basketball players they can be. <laughs> well, speaking of that, you live in Texas and you grew up in a hotbed of Oklahoma What's the vibe? What's the culture of wrestling in Texas? When you say wrestling, do they think you're an alien, or or what's the what's the culture down there for wrestling? Well, unfortunately, down here, you know, they think of wrestling as a scripted performance, you know, because they've seen the WWE and all that, you know, BS, uh, you know, and, and not to say that those guys aren't good athletes, but actually, female wrestling is better down here than you know the 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 male because more people do it. Uh, South Texas, especially, you've got, you know, you, they can play baseball, tennis, golf. They can play summer sports year round because the climate is conducive to that. But you can't, um, you know, you, wrestling is, it's not that big in South Texas. Now, in North Texas, it's getting okay. I think um, uh, Bo Nickel, Nickel, the kid from uh, Penn State, sure. he was a North Texas guy. I think he went to Allen High School. So it's getting there. I just, uh, there's too many options right now. And I will tell you, uh, some of the other sports that maybe I don't really quite get their popularity are, uh, they're pretty dominant. Soccer is very dominant down here. Um, and I never would have thought soccer would be dominant, you know, but, but it is. So, you know, Oklahoma for me was great. Texas is good, but the sports are different. They, the people are more into other sports. 
So we got to end with this, Michael. You're in the automobile industry. What kind of car do you drive? Well, I drive what I sell, which is a Toyota, um, and I can drive just about anything. I have in my life. I've had a bunch of different cars. Uh, I have a Chevy Silverado Z71 that sits in my driveway. I had an Audi RS5 uh, that I kept in a house in Oklahoma that was absolutely the best car that I ever owned. And uh, I loved it. My wife's had, you know, the luxury cars, the Mercedes, the BMW, that stuff. And uh, great cars. Uh, the industry's not making any junk right now. There's not a lot of Every brand makes a good quality. Uh, so uh, Toyota Lexus is probably the the benchmark of quality as far as dependability, things like that. Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Porsche, Audi, they're making some great cars right now. So uh, if you want a truck, you know, all the big three, Chevy, Ford, Dodge, they make fantastic trucks. Uh and like I said, nobody's making junk right now. They're making good stuff. So the industry's good. It's a great time to buy cars. Probably a better time to lease them because technology is changing so rapidly. What you're seeing today in three years will probably be obsolete. So, you know, and if you get the pleasure of driving a car, I can't imagine being in uh, in a world where the cars drive themselves. I kind of like driving a car. Um it's it's fun it's fun for me so uh i enjoy it uh the future is pretty wide open though well we appreciate this time on this edition of how wrestling built me i know you like gable quotes that you didn't mention this one maybe you haven't even heard it but it sounds like you would agree with this wrestling isn't for everyone but it should be oh i think that's a great quote i will i will add to that i will tell you that um People that haven't wrestled or don't wrestle will unknowingly regret it. I think you're right. And that's why we've enjoyed having you on this edition of How Wrestling Built Me. Michael Child, thank you for the time. Thank you very much, Kyle. I appreciate you having me.